Father, as we come to your word today, I pray that we would, uh, we would see really clearly uh, who you are in your glory and your goodness, uh, but we'd also uh, see ourselves rightly and clearly uh, as your children, um, as those whom you love. And I just, uh, Lord, also my heart's heavy today for the people of Hawaii, um, and just even seeing the devastation and the wildfires ripping through, um, Lord, I know uh, believers and friends there um, who are doing good ministry, who love you and care for you, and um, I know many have lost their homes, um, who uh, just a week or so ago, uh, everything was fine, and now it's not. Um, Lord, I just pray for them. I pray that they would find comfort in you. Um, I pray that you would, by your spirit um, and through your church, uh, make your presence known and felt in Hawaii right now. Um, Lord, and I pray for the relief efforts, that they would go well, that, um, Lord, you would bring relief uh, to that land. Uh, Lord, and for us today, as we consider this psalm, um, I pray that it would similarly bring relief to our souls in our time of need. Amen. Well, um, my first car uh, was the infamous Suzuki Samurai. This is it. Um, it was good. It was a brilliant car. And it was good at everything a car should be except for driving on the road. It's not great at that. But off the road, amazing. Um, a lot of my friends, like the one in the picture behind, had these rigged up Jeeps. And they spent so much money on them. And then I would just glide right over rocks and trails because it made nothing and it was it was a brilliant car um, and so I got really confident that I could do just about anything in this car and uh, I would go out on my own all the time uh, until one day I was on this trail and it was really bumpy and <laughs> Jameson is the car's name by the way um, just shut off just died um, and I was out of cell service in the middle of nowhere in the forests of Arizona. And I didn't know what to do. Um, and somehow, I still don't know how, it was the grace of God. Um, I, you know, classic, like, you know, took a hammer, hit some stuff. It just turned back on. And I limped Jameson back home. Um, it just, you know, I... I I found myself in that place where I thought everything was going to be fine, and then it just turned out terrible. Um, and it was really hard to actually go back out on the road, and, and I, I didn't have the confidence that I used to have. Um, and I, I think, the reason I, I tell this story, I think all of us want and think life should be like the first version of the samurai, where... We're just, you know, other people might get stuck, other people might have trouble, but we're just gliding along. And we're going over bumps, we're going over rocks, everything's fine. Um, when, in fact, often we get caught out. Uh, we, we are hit by storms and things that are unexpected. So what do we do? What do we do when the reality of our lives falls short of our expectations or what we hope for? Well, um, our psalm today, Psalm 73, Walter Brueggemann, uh, which is a great last name, uh, his, uh, he has some psalm scholarship that's really helpful on the Lament Psalms, and, and he says that Psalm 73 is an assault on naive faith. 
an assault on naive faith. I love that phrase. And, and today we're going to just walk through and, and wrestle along with the psalmist. What do we do when life doesn't turn out as we expected it to? When we need to find a better foundation to work with. And I know uh, many of you in this room come here with, with all sorts of those things hanging on your heart. Maybe they're just in the background of your mind all the time. Those, those things that, that didn't go as you expected. Maybe it's a failed marriage, a lost job, uncertain diagnoses, unfulfilled desires for relationships or children, abandonment, estrangement. The list goes on. You all have your things. You know what they are because you carry them, right? And as much as we would like to believe that life will just work itself out, that's naive faith. That is not enough for us to not just make it through the challenges of life, but be joyful on the other side. And so in the midst of disappointment and disorientation and doubt, how do we come out the other side of it with joy, like Asaph in this psalm? Psalm 73, 26, you probably have heard this before, because it's, you know, it's almost like a, it's a mug quote psalm. My flesh and my heart may fail. In other words, everything will probably go wrong. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's not naive. When everything falls apart, I still have hope. And it doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by accident. And actually, in this psalm, we see three gifts that God gives us in times of trouble, struggle, and doubt that actually help us to move forward towards joy and peace. Three gifts. Um, And they are unfiltered prayer, uncommon community, and unconditional grace. Unfiltered prayer, an uncommon community, and unconditional grace. Now, before I jump in, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that these are the three things that are going to fix your problems. Because I know many of you are walking in here today heavy in your heart. This is not like a get-rich-quick scheme of your life where it's all going to be fine after that. But these are the tools that God gives us in Scripture to actually walk through life with joy, with hope. And I hope we can see that today. So let's start with, with the first gift that we get in this psalm. And that's unfiltered prayer. And what unfiltered prayer does, as we'll see, is it helps us to see ourselves rightly. But more than just ourselves, it actually helps us to get to the bottom of what our problem is and be totally transparent before the Lord. I don't know if you've ever had that thought. Can I say that to God? Like, will if I say the wrong thing, is it just going to like lightning bolt? You know, um, well, if that were the case, then Asaph in the psalm, like, you know, he says some things here that are pretty honest and brutal, and they might have made you blush. And to make it even more kind of cringy, um, the psalms were actually the songbook of the Old Testament. When they went to the temple, like, so instead of singing His Mercy is More, they would have sang Psalm 73. Um, these are actually the words that shaped Israel. And Asaph, who my child is named after, and um, I know I'm a big Bible nerd, uh, that's why we named him that. Um, but he was actually one of the worship leaders. 
Um, so he would have been leading this song that's like deep emotional angst, and people would have known that's his song. So how can he stand up there and actually have the freedom to say, yeah, this is how I feel? Well, that's how all the psalms were. Um, on the next slide, we have a quote from John Calvin. I love this. He says, the psalms are an anatomy of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. So what he's saying is, if you want to know how to pray, if you want to know how to process your emotions, go to the Psalms. You'll see it. You'll see how deep it goes. And just like there are Psalms written today about love stories and breakup songs, most of Taylor Swift's music, um, there's a psalm for every occasion. And this occasion for Asaph is really important that we actually understand it. Because if we don't get it right, we might think the psalm's about something else. So let's go to the first three verses. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please open them back up to Psalm 73. First he says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So this is his baseline belief. I think God is good to Israel. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped and I nearly lost my foothold. So that's a way of saying, this is the truth, but I almost slipped off. I started to doubt. Why? Well, I envied the arrogant, the fool, in other words, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And prosperity here, the word is shalom. Shalom, which is a Hebrew way of saying absolute at peace well-being, like a whole centered life. So he's saying, if God is good to Israel, then why does everyone else's lives look better than mine? That's the core conviction here. He's doubting the goodness of God because of what he sees right in front of him. So when you find yourself in a place when you're doubting something about God, what do you do? Do you bottle it up? Well, we see actually one of the gifts here, again, unfiltered prayer. So let's walk through really quickly what, what Asaph does. He doesn't hold back, as you can see. He tells God exactly how he feels. So verse 4, he says, They never struggle. They have perfect health and perfect bodies and perfect hair. They'd never have any problems like us normal people. They're free from common human burdens, like money and work and relationships. But it, it gets worse than that because they know it. Verse 6, right? They're just oozing with pride. And he doesn't represent them as like, you know, those lucky people who like everything just goes well for them and they're like foolishly walking into like a million dollars on day one. It, he presents them as actual like conniving people who exploit other people and then brag about it. They're overconfident. They have no regard for God. In fact, they even say at one point, um, how will God know? Does, does he know anything? They're putting themselves in the place of God. And again, to make it even worse, for Asaph, he's like, and people listen to them. They're, they're, they're like this, 
Everything's going well for them, and people are still listening to them. Verse 12 sums it up. Go there with me. This is what the wicked are like. What a definite statement. Always carefree. They go on amassing wealth. So that's what's true in his heart. That's how he's feeling about these people. Um, but it, it, it keeps going, right? He talks about his own feelings of himself too. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. Or um, as the message translation says, being good didn't work out for me. Or all day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. My life is going from bad to worse. And I'm sure that you can relate to Asaph here thinking everyone out there is fine and everything in here is terrible. That's because, you know, in our culture, that's, that's the reason why Instagram had 50-plus billion dollars of revenue last year. That's the central premise of Instagram, right? That's what keeps people on the app. Those people are better than me, so I need to make my life look better so that those people can think my life is better than you get, you get the picture, Right? So Asaph is just saying, God, if, if you're good to people who love you, why do people who hate you have a way better life than me? So that sounds quite miserable, right? But it's honest, and that's why it's a gift. Because it's telling us, when we read the Psalms, and there's, they're all like this, um, we don't have to hide our feelings from God. We, we don't have to censor our feelings. We don't have to filter them. We can say things that aren't even true, but we're feeling them. And just like Asaph, God wants you to speak to him about what's actually on your heart. Asaph breaks all the rules of communication here uh, because he, uses, he only uses absolutes. They're never hurting. They never struggle. I'm always terrible. Everything's always bad. And if you know anything about communication, marriage prep 101, never use always and never when you're arguing. (laughs) Because always is actually never always, but it always feels that way. So what's what's the gift? We get to be transparent, but it's actually even even more than that. Um, So, I'm sure you guys remember the rains of 2022 and 2023 here in Los Angeles. We just call them the rains from now on. Um, They actually, did they invent atmospheric river, that that term? So, we got pounded with so much rain, right? Do you guys remember those days? Um, And my house, my little house, was recently remodeled. And I was very proud, because after like three or four storms, no leaks. Really good. And then, a couple months later, I noticed that my door was kind of sticking a little bit. Um, my front door, to be, to be fair. And, and I kind of ignored it. And then a week later, I realized I couldn't lock the door anymore. And then, a couple days later, I like hardly could open it. So, you know, it's probably a bad idea with a newborn to not have a door you can open and go out of. Um, So I contacted our landlord, and we got it fixed. They moved the door. 
up a little bit. It was great for like a week. And then again, couldn't open the door. So we moved the door. We, five times, five times moved the door. And then we started to see some cracks appear above the headboard. And then we, we kind of noticed that other doors were happening just on the other side of the house. And, and it did not take a genius to realize the problem wasn't the door. It was our foundation. On the right side of our house, there had been so much water that had soaked under the house that it was, it was falling down. It was sinking and actually causing our door to not be able to fit in its frame anymore. And it also doesn't take a genius to know you don't need a front door if your, your house falls down a hill. <laughs> and this is, this is one of the beautiful things about unfiltered prayer. It helps us get to the actual problem. Often, we're really busy in our lives trying to fix the door, and we miss the foundation. But when we actually come to God saying, this is how I'm feeling, this is what's going on, we're surprised. Do you guys remember the EHS devotionals where you had to sit in a few minutes of silence? I hope you're still doing that. Because I don't know about you, but so many times I didn't want to do it, and I realized there was something on my heart that, that I didn't know was there, that I needed to deal with. This is unfiltered prayer. You get to see what's going on. This is a gift. So, with that in mind, um, we can't just stay there, though. It's, it's not enough to just know we're a miserable wreck. What helps you get out of the tailspin? Well, this is where the next gift comes in. Uncommon community. Uncommon community. And in the uncommon community, we, we gain a new perspective. Often we think of community, and this is, this is definitely true. Don't get me wrong. In times of trouble and doubt, the benefits of community are like meals coming over to your house and times hanging out with friends and uh, people who are praying for you. Those are all really important things, and I actually have benefited so much from you guys in our times of need doing that for us. But there's a couple uncommon things that happen in this passage that I think are so helpful and instructive for us when we think about the gifts that God gives us in times of trouble. And it takes a while to see them, but once you see them, it's like, oh my gosh. So what's the gift of this uncommon community? Well, verse 73 or sorry, not verse 73, uh, verse 15. He says, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. What does that mean? Well, spoken out like that means if I would have recounted the ways that things were going like that, if that would have been my story, this is what's true, I would have betrayed your children. Now, that, that idea of actually your faith has an impact on somebody else's faith is really foreign in our culture. We're incredibly individualistic, aren't we? It's just my thing. I either need to grow or they need to grow. And maybe we can help each other. But actually your faith has an impact on how other people live and what they believe. And actually, getting the focus off of yourself is one of the best things to do in times of suffering and trouble. Right? Like, Often, we just we turn in when we suffer. But what brings Asaph out of the tailspin 
is he says, actually, there are other people I'm walking with. And if I just give in this easily, I'm going to betray them. Now, this doesn't mean we should never tell anyone the hard things that are going on in our lives. That's, that's not what he's saying. But it does mean we need to be wise about drawing conclusions from our feelings. Conclusions that aren't true, and, and then teaching them as gospel. You know, I don't, I don't need to say how destructive it is when someone who's a pillar of a community leaves the faith and then uses a public platform to, to digest their doubts and then lead others astray. The deconstruction of evangelical, ex-evangelical leaders in our church has done innumerable harm to the faith of God's children. So again, we don't need to hide those things because everyone doubts, everyone struggles, but the conclusions that you draw from them, the account that you read, that's important. So, he gets the focus off of himself and realizes that there's, there's actually other people in this situation, but he's still wrestling. Verse 16, when I try to understand all this, the implication is on my own, it, it troubled me deeply. And in verse 17, here's the real turning point. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. So the uncommon community gets the focus off of ourself, but it also brings perspective. It brings perspective. So what does he do? He goes to church. <laughs> well, kind of, so to speak. Uh, Asaph was a worship leader in the temple, so he goes to worship. Even when he was feeling his absolute lowest, he goes. Now, I'm going to be very honest here. When it, there are a lot of times when I'm struggling and the last place I want to be is here. Anyone else feel that way? That's, that's normal. It doesn't mean I don't like you guys, right? It just means I'm, I'm hurting and it's hard. And maybe I'm just tired and maybe I feel like I've failed and I don't want to face up to the reality. But I've, I've made this a habit in my life. It's more than just work for me. <laughs> and when you make it a habit, that's when it starts to work on you. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, Hebrews 10, 23. Why? Because it's there where your perspective changes. You get outside of yourself. You actually start to see your situation clearly. So what would he have seen? What would he have heard? Well, he might have heard Psalm 1. Not so with the wicked. They aren't blessed in every season. They're actually like chaff that blows in the wind. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Maybe he would have sung Psalm 5. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. And arrogance cannot stand in your presence. He sees that they might be killing it at this life, but really, what's most important, they don't have. They don't have God. They, verse 18, they're actually the ones on slippery places, not him. Verse 20, 
They're like a dream. When one awakes, when you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. They're only chasing immediate things. And that's what they'll get, the immediate thing. They won't get the eternal thing. So he's confronted with this truth. He sees his problem and situation clearly, but he also sees himself clearly. Did you see that? He doesn't get all judgy and say, well, good for them. They're going to get what they deserve. Instead, it goes deeper. He sees himself clearly. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I love this line. I was a brute beast before you. What's Asaph's conclusion? Actually, I'm also no better. At least they were thinking about what they were doing. (laughs) I was a brute beast, a wild, dumb ox before you, a perfect and holy and morally upright God. And this is the point at which I think some of us stop. So we, we realize our problem, we come to church, we get to that place where we're like, wow, I was wrong, and man, I suck. <laughs> but then we stop there. We stop there, and there's a, a final gift that changes everything. Um, some of you will know um, that I became a peach farmer this year. You can see um, this is my peach tree that I did nothing for. Uh, it just, it, it lives on my property. Um, but I've absolutely loved this process. Um, I'm like a kid in a candy shop. I just don't know what to do, and I'm trying my best. Um, and uh, when we first saw the fruit appear on the tree and, and started to see it turn orange and red, I was like, They're ready. This is great. And so I'd go up, and I'd take one off, and it was hard. And then I'm like, maybe it's still okay. I'd cut it up the worst, absolutely bitter. It looked good, but it wasn't there yet. And, and I had this moment of just like every day I would go out and be like, are they ready? Are they ready? Are they ready? And they wouldn't be ready. And I'd be like, when is it going to be ready? Um, and some of you had the ready peaches in Hannah's peach cake at the last potluck. Um, plug, you should go to the potluck. Great things will be there. Um, but the thing I realized was actually if I didn't wait for the fruit to be ripe, the fruit would go bad. And, and I feel like this is how we get with our suffering sometimes. We get to the point where we're like, it's just bitter. It's just hard. I'm really tired. And we give up. We say there's no point to this anymore. When, like, the fruit's really close. (laughs) It's so close to sweet. It's so close to good. But it's not quite there. Because what we're missing is the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't be better. So what what changes his tune? Verse 23, he realizes God's unconditional grace to him is that yet, even though I was a brute beast, I am always with you. Or as the ESV says, nevertheless, 
No matter what's going on, I'm continually with you. What Asaph sees is God's unconditional grace. How does that grace meet Asaph? Well, first, he says, you held me by my right hand. You guided me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. It's grace. (laughs) It's grace. There's going to be a quote up on the screen that I love from C. Hassel Bullock, another Old Testament scholar. He says, self-recognition that occurs in the presence of an omnipotent God moves us towards the one who can turn our reasons for lament into occasions for joy. And this is what happens for him. He looks back. What does he see? Verse 2, my feet didn't slip. Why? Was it because he all of a sudden got better balance and had incredible faith? No, God was holding him. That's why his feet didn't slip. Verse 16 and 17 Why did he make it out of the confusing place? Was it because he had this sudden revelation on his own? No. God's grace met him in the regular means of grace of his community meeting. Verse 24. Was it a new level of personal financial success or the downfall of the wicked that led to Asaph's newfound hope? No. The It's the grace of God. He affirms that afterward, meaning after his life, he says, you will take me into glory. And so his his whole perspective shifts. And that's why he starts to say these amazing things like, man, I didn't even see it. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth, it has nothing I desire besides you. Can you see now why he can say, "My, my flesh and my heart, they may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What a transformation. What hope. God's gift of unconditional grace is the only thing in times of suffering that can change you from a beast to a beauty. It's a little corny, I know. But it's true. But you're probably wondering at this point, as often we do, how can I be sure? How can I be sure of God's unconditional grace? Clues in verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel. God is good to Israel. Not because Israel is good to God. This is not a 50-50 partnership. It doesn't take much reading of the Old Testament to realize that the the story of the history of Israel is failure and unfaithfulness. God is good to Israel because he promised he would be. He promised he would be. He said to, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to David, I, you are my people and I will be your God. So Asaph shifts and says, it's actually not about what I do. It's not about my circumstance. 
It's about God and his grace and his promised covenant. But we aren't part of Israel, so what about us? Is verse 27 true of us? It's a terrifying verse. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. So what do we do? Well, we have even a better hope than Asaph had. Our hope for unconditional grace and God's sustained presence in our time of need comes for the one who fulfilled the covenant, Jesus Christ, his son. The only pure one. Asaph said, I'm pure, I'm innocent. No, he wasn't. But Jesus was. He said, I'm afflicted, everything's terrible. Not all the time, but Jesus was. Even though he was the only one who had the right to be in the presence of God, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's the only one who has the right to say, why isn't my life good? Because I am good. But do you remember what he said on the cross? As he was dying and in the pit of pain and despair, what did he say about his enemies that were actually cruel and horrible and strung him up there? He didn't say, Lord, destroy them. He said, forgive them. He said, Father, forgive them. Do you want a heart like that? In the midst of your deepest suffering, being able to release that and have hope in something else. And this is the truth of the gospel. That what seemed like the most horrible situation in Christ, dying on the cross, the most innocent dying, the worst death, was actually the doorway of hope and beauty. And he rose again, showing us the words of the psalmist are absolutely true. Afterward, he will take us into glory. We read earlier, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we also read in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you remember the last words of Jesus to the disciples as he was ascending into heaven? What did he say? What was his comfort? Surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Can you see now why we could say, but as for me, it is good to be near God? Because I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell about it. I'll tell of your deeds. Or as another translation says, I love this. As for me, God's nearness is my good. It's not my circumstance. It's not my position in society. God's nearness is my good. So, as we wrap up today, I'm going to just share a quick story, and then I'll invite you to a couple things. When Hannah and I um, were... Um, were waiting for Asaph to be born. Um, we had an OB appointment, and Hannah's British, for those of you who don't know. Um, and as we were preparing, we got to that point at which the OB said, okay, cool, well, what are you going to do for the pain in labor? 
by the way, I asked Hannah if I could share this story. Um, <laughs> but she said, what are you going to do about it? And Hannah was like, well, I really don't want an epidural because that's weird to me because we don't do that in the UK. And I think I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> um, but she said, OK, cool. That's fine. So what are you going to do about the pain? And Hannah's like, well, I'm just I'm going to just go through it. And she's like, no, no, no. You don't understand. The epidural is there because of the pain. What are you going to do about the pain? And he said, can you tell us some things we could do? She said, you need a strategy because the pain is inevitable. What are you going to do? If God's goodness and his presence to you is not your strategy, what are you going to do when the pain hits? Because it will. That is a fact of life. So the invitation today, one, if, if you haven't made God's presence your good, if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ for not only him holding you in this life, but also in the next, do that today. Don't wait. Don't wait for you to be in the pit of despair. Do it today. Trust in him. Believe in him. But also, it's an invitation to each of us, which of those gifts do you need today? Because as much as this psalm is a linear progression in the process to joy, our lives aren't. Our lives are messy. Do you need to go to God in unfiltered prayer today and actually figure out what's going on? Do you actually need to commit to an uncommon community where you are loved and accepted, but also you can see yourself and your situation clearly? Or do you just need to know the unconditional grace of God for you right now, that he is with you, he holds you, he walks with you, he knows you, and he will lead you into everlasting life? So whatever that is, let us do that, church. Make God's nearness our good. Let me pray. Father God, you are continually with us, and Jesus promised that you would be. Jesus said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And Holy Spirit, you live and you dwell in each one of us. May we not disregard the gifts that you've given us, Lord, to make it through whatever happens. The pain of life is real and inevitable, in Jesus, you know it well. So lead us, guide us, comfort us. Help us to stay in that place until we come out the other side with joy. Amen.